Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with my friend Scott Ellis of, I believe, Mulberry, Florida. Scott, how you doing? Hey, Jay. I'm doing great. And that is correct. Mulberry, Florida. <laughs> that is actually a town. <laughs> you know, it's, it's great to have you on the podcast. We haven't talked, I don't think, since last spring on the podcast. Uh, for those of you that don't know Scott, he's basically won every calling contest under the sun. I think he's got like 80 titles to his name. <laughs> he's won three head-to-heads at NWTF. He's uh, just a phenomenal caller, but more than that, he's an incredible turkey hunter. He's got an app out. He's got his own uh, signature series calls uh, that we're going to talk about. He's also, I believe, the, the uh, uh, pro staff manager of Mossy Oak. He's also with TSS. Um, we're going to talk a lot about all of the different stuff that Scott has going on the podcast. But, buddy, uh, before we get going, you've already been cranking for like a month killing birds. How's it going? Oh, my gosh, it's going fantastic. We're having a stellar season. I, I haven't even left Florida yet, but I think we've got like eight different birds down. Um, I myself have bagged an Osceola, Jake, my son, is tagged out with both of his Osceolas, and I managed to bring some friends from out of state down on some public ground last weekend for the opener. Not last weekend, two weekends ago. And all three of my buddies, two from South Carolina and one from Kentucky, uh, all got their Osceolas, their first Osceolas, so that was awesome. So, yeah, we have been laying them down and having a great time, and uh, birds are doing a lot of different things here in Florida. We've got a lot of crazy weather. It's been an interesting spin on it. had a lot of cooler weather for Florida. So the birds are in different uh, phases of the breeding cycle. Every time I go to a different spot, they're doing something different. So it's been a real challenge, but we've had a lot of success. Scott, would you say, I mean, you've hunted all over anywhere there's, there's wild turkeys you've hunted. Um, would you say that the Florida Osceolas are as tough to call as any bird that you've ever worked? Or would you say that there's other places or other states that birds are actually tougher? Um, you know, the Osceola is, uh, I would say, would be one of the harder birds to kill. I mean, people get all bent sideways about, well, Easterns are tougher, Osceolas are tougher. Not many people are going to claim Miriam's Rios or Goulds are tougher than Easterns <laughs> or Osceolas. I mean, they're just, no. you know, you can call to them more. Let's just say this, Osceolas are the least, uh, let me reverse that, Osceolas are more susceptible to overcalling than any of the subspecies. Um the hunting pressure Meaning is extremely just high. Flat clam up, like if I mean, if if they hear too much, they're just done. It no matter they how hang up, down, they hang up. They hang up. Okay. They okay. just hang up. They're really, really bad about hanging up when you call to them a little bit too much. Yep. They uh, the okay. terrain plays a role in that, and hunting pressure is a huge role in that. Um, even on private land that you hunt, you're going to get pressure. The places I get to go, the few places I get to hunt private ground, it's even pressure because it's hunt clubs and stuff like that. And then of course you go to public ground. And uh, you've got all the pressure, all the human contact, all the hearing, all the calling all the time. So any pressure turkey is going to be tougher, in my opinion. But Osceolas, uh, because of terrain, they're, they're, they're less flamboyant than even Easterns. And when I say flamboyant, I mean they just don't come in most times. Now, there's always an exception to the rule. I've had, I've had Osceolas come in strutting all the way in, gobbling their brains out. But as a whole, they're just sneakier. They're, more, they're a little more wary. They're a little more... Um, less to just come in full strut 
And, of course, like I said earlier, you don't want to call as much to them. You want to play hide-and-seek with them. You want to play cat and mouse a little bit more with an Osceola. I would say Easterns are going to be the second toughest that I've hunted, and I've hunted Easterns exclusively all over the U.S. Um, and then probably Rios and Miriams are on the same. Goulds, Miriams, and Rios are about the same, honestly. they're not. I've hunted really tough Rios, Miriams, and Miriams. Our Goulds hunts together a couple of years ago was pretty much canned. I mean, they were just they were perfect. Those birds <laughs> were just... Yeah. It was just a perfect setup, perfect scenarios. It worked great. The Rios and the, the Miriams that I've hunted, I've had some that took a lot of coaxing, a lot of repositioning. Um, the one thing I found with those two subspecies that you can do, again, I mentioned earlier, is you can call a lot more to them. And that always yeah. is a uh, plus, and it's always good for the turkey hunter if he gets to hear that bird gobble a little bit more. And, you know, if you don't call a lot of times those birds enough, they'll they'll lose interest and walk off. I always say, Rios and Miriams have ADD. <laughs> if you don't call enough, yeah. they lose interest and walk off. It's really bizarre, but. So, I mean, you obviously came down and hunted ghouls with me, and you saw that the birds, basically, they don't, they never hear anybody calling. So, that I mean, the, the ranchers, they don't even own turkey calls. So, right. then you talk about Florida, where they hear calling a lot, they get a lot of pressure, but they don't have those giant tracts of land like what the Goulds have, say, in Mexico, where they just go untouched. If you right. reverse that, where you had a huge chunk of land in Florida, I mean, just where they, they don't see or hear any calling, do you think that they would be as um, call-shy, so to speak, or wary as they are? I mean, is it strictly a function of just human interaction their whole life? I think it's, yeah, I think almost evolution plays a small role in it. Just, you know, 30, 35, 40 years since turkey hunting really became popular back in the 80s. We'll call it 30 years, 35 years. I've been hunting actually, 34. So I, I think evolution plays a small role in, in that human contact and the birds being a little wary. I think predators, uh, the coyotes are very rampant in Florida these days. So that's also something I think, and I have theories about uh, these birds that, are being intera are interacting with coyotes that were never around 30 years ago. Now, Goulds yeah. and Miriams and Rios have had coyotes around them their entire lives. That's something that they've had in, been in contact with. They gobble at them when they howl. You know, they people use a coyote howler for, an, for a locator, and it doesn't seem to phase them. In Florida, I think that's something that has had an adverse effect on gobbling and their, their wariness. Um, I've hunted turkeys on large pieces of property in Florida that was unpressured, and I can, and I mean, we kill them regardless, but I can still honestly say that you have to be a little more particular with your calling sequences and your setup. And the terrain plays another key role. I mean, a lot of Florida is really thick. Now, you do have live oak hammocks that are beautiful and open. You have a lot of pasture land that people don't realize in the state of Florida. But you also have tons and tons and tons of palmettas within a lot of undergrowth. And that, that causes those birds not to gobble as much. And they're a lot more sneaky and they're looking and they're peeking because they don't want to get pounced on by a predator. So I think that's another yeah. reason that have that make Osceola's a little bit tougher too. Scott, you have uh, been pretty outspoken as far as not a proponent of decoys. Not necessarily. Um, I've never heard you talk down upon other people using decoys, but you personally, I don't. You know, you may have used them before. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you typically mm -hmm. don't use decoys. Is that a function of your you just love calling so much and you love the art of calling that you want to trick a turkey with your call or else you don't want it to happen at all. Talk a little bit about that because I think 
you know, I think there's people that do like them and there's people that don't like them. I'm just curious from your point of view, um, <clears throat> your perception and, and, you know, your opinion, why don't you use decoys? Right. Um, I have no problem. You know, people use them like they use duck decoys. I mean, it's just a staple of how they turkey hunt. They don't go to the woods without them. The, uh, the, the short version is this, Jay. I started turkey hunting in like 85, and I hunted turkeys till about the mid-90s and learned to hunt turkeys without a decoy. I learned setup, and then, of course, as you well know, I learned to call. Uh, I, learned, I learned advanced calling and how to communicate with the birds, not just call at the birds, you communicate with the birds, you use the calls and knowing how to put inflection in your calling to sometimes control your destiny. I mean, you can do things if you know what you're trying to say and the emotion you're trying to exhibit that it can change the game for you. It can make him do things he wouldn't normally do just based on communication. So like I said, <clears throat> for 10 years I learned to hunt turkey successfully without him. In the mid-90s, I was in, stationed at Fort Jackson in the Army, and um, that was when the Featherflex decoys hit the market. That was the, one of the first commercial decoys, if yeah, you remember the foam injection. Lightweight, lightweight yeah. was, hor was horribly unrealistic. <laughs> I mean, yes. they resembled a turkey. We look back but... now, and we just shake our heads, probably, like, what the heck were we using? But I remember back then, we thought they were pretty <clears throat> slick. Oh, yeah, everybody did, because you could just fold it up and stick it in the back of your vest. It wasn't cumbersome to carry, but... What happened with me is I said, man, this is the new hot thing. I'm not big on gimmicky stuff, but this just seemed to make sense because I have waterfowl hunted even before I learned a turkey hunt. I've been waterfowl hunting my whole life, and I love to duck hunt and call ducks over deeks. So I said, well, i got to try it. Well, um, bought a, hen, a Featherflex hen and a jake, and after getting on, I don't know, a handful of turkeys um, and putting that decoy up, I had these birds hang up, tuck their wings, and walk away from them. Um, I did kill one gobbler on a Jake decoy back in the 90s. It was at a place where I had witnessed a gobbler run a bunch of Jakes out of a field and fight them and kick every one of them's butt. There's like five of them. So I knew just based on their, his characteristics that he was probably going to, if he saw a Jake in that field that he was in, he was going to come fight it, and it was going to work. So, uh, and it did, and that was the one, the first turkey. I mean, I literally can count on one hand probably, and one of them was with you a couple years ago, decoys, yep. you know, and, and we probably didn't need to use that decoy. Those birds, we were going to call those birds right down to yeah. us anyways. But but, in, but I um, I had those turkeys lock up on those deeks is what happened, like I said. And um, I said, I don't need these things. I've been killing turkeys successfully for 10 years before these things came out. And when I had that negative experience, I totally went away from it. And, and at that point, I was already in love with the, ro the romance of just calling and communicating. That's what struck me. That's what uh, enamored me with turkey hunting was just the communication, talking. So that was already, uh, I was already going against the fact of using a visual. But it was, if it, it would have worked for me, Jay, I can't honestly say I wouldn't be more of an advocate of decoys now. Um, I, you know, I, don't, I don't harp on it. I don't, I don't, I'm not negative against it. Or I'm just, I've learned to be successful without them. And um, I've had a little bit of success about 10 years ago with my buddy Steve Stoltz with some strutters. When the strutter hit the market about 10 years ago, I had a little success with that. And um, there was a hunt that's actually on Shane Simpson's show, Calling All Turkeys, in Wisconsin about three seasons ago, where we had birds skirting us. They were went out into a field. They were gobbling. They were looking, but they weren't paying a whole lot of attention. I couldn't do anything with them. And Shane said, let me belly crawl that decoy using that cover and see if I can get it in their view without bumping them. And then, then I said, well, you do that, I'll Jake help. And, and Shane belly crawled that Jake decoy out. And I started Jake helping, and it caught their attention, and it turned them. It, it worked. 
So there's definitely yeah. situations where if I had one, I might have tried it, but I don't even carry them. But at the same yeah. time, um, there's, you know, there's plenty of people that use them with great success, and that's what they use, and it works for them. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I'm, I'm an advocate of whatever works for you and whatever makes you happy going out and turkey hunting. But, but literally those couple of stories, I mean, maybe one hand, maybe a hand and a half, I could count on the birds that I've killed with deeks over the years. And, and as you see, you know, I kill a lot of turkeys, and it's just, you know, I use setup and good calling. And, uh, and woodsmanship, you know, knowing when to move, knowing when to get in front of them, knowing when to reposition, knowing when to throw the sound of the call a different direction, using the terrain to set up in the right ways around the bend of a road. If I'm on a field, I'm inside the wood line. I'm not going to set up on the edge of the field without a decoy because, simply put, the bird's going to know that he should see a hen standing there. If you go inside that wood line 20 or 30 yards, that gobbler knows he's looking, but he can't see the hen that he sh- that's there, but he hears her. So... Um, a great example of that was the other weekend down here in South Florida. I'll give you a quick story. Um, it was actually on the Spur show that I'm a part of right now, the Spur season on the Mossy Oak Go app. And um, we had struck a bird after not hearing anything off the roost and set up for about an hour and a half after good daylight. Fog burned off. We got a bird goblin after we, just after we got up. And the bird, we got set down, and that bird come around the edge of the oak hammock. It was about 150 yards coming right at us. And when that when the bird started closing, I think I tur- I was able to get behind my camera and turn my head and yelp one time, and I think I clucked and purred once or twice, and that was it. And he had there was a little bit of a broom straw between he and I, so he couldn't quite see 100 percent of you know his visibility was a little obscured. But that's all I did once we made contact because I knew if I sat there and yelped to that gobbler and yelped and yelped and yelped without without him seeing a hen that should have been in front of in front of us or where we were at, he was going to hang up. He was not going to close that distance. So that's a great example of how you would hunt a bird without a deke in a more open area. But at any rate, I'm getting sidetracked telling stories here. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but no, is, but, I mean, you, you bring up a couple great things. And <clears throat> one, one thing I would ask you is, do you think that a lot of people make the mistake, and have you witnessed people and heard about people making the mistake of doing exactly what you just said, where uh, the turkey's going to want to come where they're hearing a sound and they're going to want to come where they can see, but right. if you don't give them, if you're set up in an area where, where they can see everything they need to see, they're not coming any further. They're smart enough to realize I should see what I'm hearing. So do you exactly. typically in most every setup try and set in a position where they have to almost come seek you out, where they can't see 100 yards and go, oh, exactly. I don't see it, I'm out of here. Do you, do you always pretty much make them seek you and out? Let- Absolutely, 125%. Every single setup is that way. I give myself, and that's if you watch my show Hunt Quest on YouTube, you'll see most of the gobblers that I'm calling in are coming in looking. They're not locked in on anything. They're not, they don't have a visual. But, and then a lot of times I don't get a lot of B-roll of my turkey kill shots because those, I'm set up in a spot where he makes his, he, he makes his appearance and he's, on, and he's in gun range or right at gun range and then he gets shot. I mean, and that's so. Right. Yes, to answer your question, one hundred percent, that is how I set up. Now, you might get hamstringed every once in a while, and that's exactly what happened on that hunt down in South Florida a couple of weeks ago. Was we got hamstringed? I mean, I had no idea that bird was going to pop out as quick as he did because honestly, when he was gobbling, we couldn't course him for some reason. The gobble was echoing through the hammock, and we had the pasture on our left, and it was just we could not pinpoint that gobbler. So he caught us off guard. And hamstring us a little bit, and that's when I just shut it down and did not call him too much when I knew he could make eye contact or see that hen that should have been standing there. So, yeah, I mean, that's how I do it. That's exactly, I call it hiding the hen, Jay. That's my, uh, okay. 
I, I like to think I coined that because I've never heard it used before, but I, I, I use the phrase hiding the hen, and that's what I do. And whenever he makes his uh, appearance, if you will, he's he should see the hen, and it's too late. He's got some Apex TSS coming his way. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Apex TSS, um, explain your involvement with the company, and for those that don't know what it is, talk a little bit about that and how the company's grown and, and what your role basically is with, with them. Absolutely. I'm, I'm the pro staff manager for Apex and the pro staff manager for Woodhaven. Just to clarify earlier, you mentioned Mossack. I'm on their national pro staff, and I'm not their pro staff manager. That's Tim Anderson, just okay. for clarification. <laughs> but yep. I'm their pro yep. staff manager for Apex, and um, I uh, do a lot of marketing with them. I help with video clips. I help with instructional stuff that we do for, for calling. Um, and uh, TSS is a great company owned by veterans and, and spouses of veterans. And or I'm sorry, active two active duty fellows and, and a, the spouse of another active duty jet pilot, female female officer actually, and that's Jason Lonsberry, Jared Lewis, and Nick Charney. And uh, what TSS is in a nutshell, if people you know, there's a big rage going on about it. Um, it's awesome stuff. It's the beauty of TSS is simply this: I shoot number nines, or I will shoot a little bit bigger size shot depending on what I need per state because some states allow like maybe sevens or the smallest you can use. Some have no restrictions. But either way, the, the, the small shot is weighs almost two-thirds of what lead weighs, over what lead weighs. So easiest way to explain it is like a number nine TSS pellet weighs about what a five, number five lead weighs. So what does that mean for the – much smaller. Much smaller, so that means you get better penetration. You have less friction when it enters bone and it enters meat and tissue. So there's less surface to tissue contact, which allows deeper penetration. And the more important thing is you have absolutely quadrupled your pattern density. Think about it. You've got fives that are three, four, almost double the size of a nine. You're almost doubling the density of your pattern. So that right. works for any situation. If 40 yards is your magic range, if 30 yards, if 50 yards, you can extend the ranges on these shells a little bit. Um, you need to go out and pattern your gun. little quick piece of advice. Pattern your gun. Um, make sure the thing is shooting true point of center. Point of impact is centered so you're not shooting high right, high left, whatever. If it does do that, then put a scope on it. Put a red dot or put adjustable, opt or adjustable sights on it. Um, but um, it, it, it gives you the best pattern for your money, period. And it hits as hard as, sh as pellets that are almost twice its size. So you just you can't go wrong. People have a hard time grasping that, but it's just very it's just that simple. That little bitty pellet weighs as much as a much larger in lead pellet weighs. So and you have the velocity there just the same. You're you know we're running these shells at eleven twelve hundred foot a second, so they have plenty of penetration. They're carrying that energy down range, and it's just awesome stuff. Um, just give it a shot. Give it and a try. What does um, TSS What does TSS stand for? Tungsten Super Steel. Tungsten, yep. tungsten Super, Steel. Super Steel. Okay, so and, and your it's preference is nine shot, and are your groups at fifty and sixty yards way better than the the old conventional shot? It is. It is unimaginable. You you just have to put it on paper. Give it a shot. Um, just a quick sidebar. Indian Creek, great choke that runs great with the apex loads. Uh, the True Glow Headbanger, an amazing choke that runs through the uh, TSS, the apex loads. Um, we any, any non-ported choke runs really good. 
and I would say around in a 12 gauge around a 660 to 665 constriction is going to steer you in the right direction without a doubt so okay. just try try a box oven and see what you think now you know you can you can have your tried and true lead loads that you've had great success with over the years that's great too but these these shells I mean there's a big debate going on because I'll oh, call them close call them close while y'all worried about shooting them at 60 70 yards well my take on that is this when you buy a seven millimeter a seven millimeter rim mag do you go deer hunt and shoot a deer at 100 yards with a seven mag does anybody do that well you you can well you can but what does that make sense when you can accurately if you can accurately shoot that weapon you can kill one four five hundred yards if you're that accurate right so why handcuff Correct. yourself why right. not only is the pattern density there at the shorter ranges if you can retain the downrange energy and keep that pattern tight and you can cleanly and effectively lethal. yep and just as lethal then why not use technology i mean everybody's using all these realistic decoys realistic camouflage so we've got a load now that's that's tricked out that's becoming extending the ranges 40 yards was the magical range because yeah. that was the farthest you could kill a bird back in the old days if you were lucky if you had a killer you would get a good 40 yard pattern okay and then right. and then turkey choke tubes came along then super x double x came along and then long beards and heavy shot the alloys um you know and now of course tss now so i'm just saying i'm not advocating you need to shoot a turkey that far by no means I like I, we, all these birds that have been shot with me. I said eight different turkeys. Not one of them was over 40 yards. Not one single bird was, oh, he was out there, and I just hell married him. It's not like that. If right. the gun holds the pattern and it's effective to, a, to, to 50, 60 yards and it does it, then you know what? If you have that one that hangs up that one time, go, you know, then you can cleanly and ethically kill him and kill him. I mean, it's all about calling yeah. him close, trust me. And another, dis, another disclaimer is if you're going to go out there and put a red dot and you know your gun is holding these awesome patterns past that 40 yards magical range, carry your range finder in your turkey vest. Carry your range finder. I take it out of my bow pack and put it in my turkey vest as soon as turkey season comes in. And every time I sit down, I will take my range finder out and I'll range landmarks to know where I have my, my absolute range is going to be for my gun. Yep. And that way I know I don't take too long of a shot because I am shooting Apex and I'm shooting these loads that are hot and they will carry a better pattern. So just a few things. I mean, like I said, you do what makes you happy, <clears throat> but you cannot knock the use of technology no. to help you become more successful. We do it in every other aspect of every kind of hunting. Remember when bows used to shoot 200 foot a second? That was fast. Now we're three, shooting yep. 320. Should we not be shooting these fast bows and sh these flatter shooting bows? Was that Oh, that's not fair because before we could shoot them 30, and now I can kill a deer at 60 yards with my bow if he don't drop the string. All day, every day, I shoot at 60 yards. What, is that unethical now? Because anything I know that I can makes a better pattern and anything that makes mm -hmm. a better pattern or a more lethal kill, uh, I'm all for. I mean, I throw a grenade at him. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not one at all to be like, you know, my way of fishing is better than your way of fishing. And that's exactly. the way I kind of break some of this down. Like, you know, my method of, you know, my, my fly rod is better than your bait casting rod. I, I just don't, I just don't, I mean, we're all hunters. We're all fishermen. If you can find something that, uh, you know, you can effectively kill it at a, at a deeper distance and have better it. penetration, go for it. Um, Absolutely. With that being said, I, I do see a lot of guys are going more with 20 gauges and going with actually smaller gauge shotguns Absolutely. and a lot more comfortable, a lot lighter. 
Um, less recoil. And, and, <laughs> yeah, less recoil and shooting the TSS and just, I'm just reading about it. I'm seeing all kinds of stuff about it. Have you jumped into shooting 20 gauge uh, or are you still shooting a 12? I am still shooting my old trusty 1300 Winchester turkey gun. Um, but I did kill one with my wife Kim's Beretta in Oregon. My Miriam to complete when I think you saw on Hunt Quest um, where Jake and I finished a father-son single season Grand Slam a couple years ago out with Bo and Casey Brooks in Oregon. And um, yeah. th that gun, that we only took one shotgun. And Jake was sharing my tags. Jake had to shoot a Rio and a Miriam. We made that happen. And then the last day, I was able to pull it off with a Miriam as well. And we were shooting the Beretta with an Indian Creek choke. And it was am those amazing patterns. Now, Jake won an 870 youth model pump um, at a clay shoot. He won it because he was the top youth shooter. He shot 33 out of 50, I think. It was pretty awesome. And um, he won this gun, so we drilled and tapped it. We put a Picatinny rail, a True Glow Picatinny, and put the uh, True Tech, True Glow red dot on it, and the headbanger choke. And I'm just telling you, it is absolutely startling, the patterns that not only that gun – but many, many guns are getting these 20 gauges are getting. They're just they're just as good. They're three times better than any of our 12 gauge guns were 15 years ago, literally. Yeah. And 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 they will often compete with a lot of the 12 gauges now. And the load that Jake's shooting is a GT3 Apex number nine, and it's an ounce and five eighths of number nine TSS and his load. And it is. I'll, I'll text you some pictures offline after we get done today. But it is amazing. And that little thing weighs four or five pounds. It's short. It's it's compact, Easy and it actually carry, does not yeah. kick. It does not kick. It has a you know eight seventies have a steel receiver, so it adds a little bit of weight to it, but so which helps with the recoil. And the recoil is is very manageable. Jake is right now five two five three. He's a hundred pounds, and he shot both turkeys with that that setup that we did for him this year. So he's he's loving it. And I could see him carrying that as he gets older, honestly. I could see him. Yeah. I could see me going the other direction, and a lot of a lot of men are grown men are going to that lighter, compact, less recoil, just as effective patterns. So, speaking of Jake, uh, your boy Jake Ellis, uh, how's he doing? Um, he's doing great, buddy. Seen him around. Doing, doing good? great. Yeah, he's doing great. He uh, he won the Pulse, as you know, two years ago. I think he was ten. Yeah. It was the last year he could call in it. And he won it. And um, he's just taking a step back from competition calling, and he's fishing a lot. And, of course, we're turkey hunting now, but he's big into fishing. He's discovered girls. Um, <laughs> he's good. You know, he's, he's in junior high school he's now. He's living the American dream. <laughs> ah, there you go, man. There you go. But, does yeah, just love it. Um, he does play golf like with me, absolutely. Golf. Yep, we yep. play golf together. We'll be doing a lot of that here in the coming months as turkey season winds down, which is far from that now. But, yeah, the summertime we play a lot of golf. We're going to do a lot of fishing and He's um he's just an absolute um he he loves hunting more than anything anything in the world he loves to hunt and fish and he likes sports as well but um but the calling competition thing you know he did it I think his dad did it for a while and and then he he did his business he's a grand national champion he always will be and he stepped away from it I'm not going to push him into it you know he still calls yeah. now better than most men I know anyways with mouth calls and friction calls. So you know he's gonna he has a great set of skills already in place to carry him the rest of his turkey hunting life. So um, he's good to go. He maybe one day he starts calling again. I don't know. I have no idea, but I would never push him into it. So yes. Yeah. Well, I mean the reality, like you just said, he has enough skills. He has enough calling skills to last him the rest of his life. And 
it's one of those things, as you know, being a competition caller, um, you know, and you've done it so, so much. I mean, there is a point in time that it, it can get overwhelming. And I'm curious just your thoughts on, you know, can you do it so much that it creates somewhat of a burnout? And have you seen, you know, other friends and such of yours out on the circuit that just, they do it so much all year round and to be, you know, competitive anymore, you've got to do it nonstop. That, right. you know, they, they have a four, five, six, seven, eight year run and then they're just sick of it. I mean, and to me that's, it's, it's kind of sad um, mm -hmm. just in, in, in theory and in general thinking that someone's so into something, they do it so much and go so hard with it, and then it kind of, you know, they kind of lose the love for it. Yeah, yeah I, I've seen, I mean, a name comes to mind right now, and that's Hendershot, Shane Hendershot. He had his run for seven, eight, nine years, won a couple grand nationals, you know, and he just, we had conversations. He just kind of got burnt. He wasn't finding the desire to practice like he used to. And if you don't, you know, you're going to get left behind. I mean, you're going to lose that edge, that, that polish. And, and I'll tell you, Jay, I mean, I've got so much going on with, with all the cool things I'm doing and I'm blessed and, and very fortunate. And I've worked hard for everything I'm doing in the industry, but it's just finding the time is, is getting, it's getting harder and harder to find that practice yeah. time. Um, and, you know, I've had a, a, a quite a bit of success, if you will, um, in, on the calling circuit. And um, I, I'm still in it. I'm still on top of my game. You know, I've had a great year as far as I'm concerned on the stage. Um, won a couple titles. I did, I did fine. Um, just didn't let myself know that I'm still competitive. Um, I think you kind of know when you become yeah. that, get to that point where it's like, you know, I, I want to win the Open. That's my last goal. My last bucket list is to win the Open. Um, I finished second a couple years ago. I've been fourth. I've been third and fifth twice. I mean, um, I've been close, you know, really, really close. And uh, so it, it still has a little drive in me. Um, and I still go to a few contests a year just to, to make sure I'm not losing the edge. And, too, because I love to go do it and see friends that I only get to see a few times a year. So that's all the camaraderie is a part of it as well. And then I've got a couple buddies in Florida that are still calling, and um, it's fun to just jump on a plane if you're fortunate enough to be able to do that and get on a plane and fly out, meet some friends, spend a weekend with them, go call in a contest, you know, grill out fellowship with with great turkey hunting buddies and callers, and 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 that's still a part of it for me. So I'm I'm trying to maintain, but I I can attest that the drive is waned a little bit in the in the last I'd say five years probably. It, it's starting to slow down for me a little bit just just because of time and because of of uh, just being so busy, honestly, just being so busy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about Hunt Quest a little bit. Um, awesome YouTube uh, series show that you've been doing for Thank several you. years now. Uh, talk about the, you know, for those that aren't familiar with it, talk about how it's going, um, where you see it going, and kind of, you know, just like general theme of Hunt Quest. Right, right. I appreciate that. This is actually season two, that I, and I'm doing all the production, all the editing. It's all my own little baby. Um, I do some of the filming, and quite honestly, uh, a lot of these trips, I mean, I don't have a professional camera guy with me. Um, well, I've got a buddy that's helping film. Um, all of my good buddies that I hunt with year after year are all, all now pretty good camera guys <laughs> because, because, you know, we stuck, I stuck a camera in their hand probably even before Hunt Quest, I was starting to film probably six, seven years ago. 
But um, it's just a, a simple show that just chronicles the success and the failure of of, of a guy going turkey hunting. And and just as a disclaimer, I don't uh, do this full time. I, I all I do is manage vacation from work with weekends. Every hunt I go on is a a trip with like a Thursday Friday off or a Monday Tuesday off, and I'll fly on the day before if I can that evening, hopefully to get in and land and get your gear together and you wake up the next morning with almost no sleep and go turkey hunting. And that's what I do. So it's really tough, you know, doing it that way and, and, you know, getting kills on camera and, and following the, uh, the entire story. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's a labor of love. It's, it's, uh, I like to say a regular Joe like myself, just out trying to get good footage and good quality hunts and sharing that, and I try to do some instructional stuff, and I try to, as I'm learning field production and getting better at it, is just telling everybody what's going on and what we're about to do and why we're about to do it. You try to talk people through. As you well know, I have a lot of instructional stuff that we can talk about a little bit later, but I'm trying to give tips and tactics along the way about what we did and why we did it, and that's something I'm trying to integrate more and more into it because it's easy to get caught in the heat of the moment. And you lose sight of, I'm just trying to kill this turkey. <laughs> but ultimately, right. you're trying to talk people through what's going on. We're going to reposition. I'm going to do. I'm going to stage a fight because this bird's hung up and nothing is working. Um, I'm going to call to the hens right now, and I'm going to be very soft and subtle. I'm not going to get aggressive. We've had that whole talk over the years on different podcasts. It's a great conversation about calling to hens. I love giving my dissertation on it. But um, and, that, and that's what it is. It's on YouTube. Um, there's actually, I think, 21 total episodes, two seasons. Um, I sprinkle in a little bit of deer hunting when I can. There's some hog hunts on there. Um, there's a quail hunt or two on there. Um, hopefully going to film a uh, elk hunt one day. That's one of my, another one of my bucket lists is, is a, is a quail, a quail, a elk with my bow. And, um, I want to bugling man or, you know, cow calling man. Um, cause I can do pretty know, much any of the sales. You know, I got, I know, I know this. I know this. we got to talk about that someday soon. Yep. So, um, you know, Scott, that's that's one of the things that drew me to you before I even met you, and we became buddies. Um, I, I used to love to watch on YouTube the instructional stuff, and I mean, there's still stuff on there. You can still go and find the, the instructional stuff. Uh, still there. And yep. I was really drawn to you know talking about you specifically talking through how to, you know, front end, you know, how to do all the different things and exactly how to do it. And it actually uh, led into you creating an app. Um, so not only do you have a YouTube channel, but you also have an app. That, and well, let's back up. Before you had the app, you had Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, those DVDs that just, I mean, are, I mean, someday they're going to be looked at as just, you know, historic, groundbreaking <laughs> like i mean i i really believe that like those things that you find like 30 years later and you're like wow this is something that still holds water absolutely uh, you know denny galvis his denny's old videos come to my mind when you say that i mean just amazing amazing ahead of yeah. its time yep yep yeah and 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 then I appreciate you created that, an app um talk a little bit about just the constant evolution of you know, working on whether it be YouTube videos, you know, DVDs, now an app, you know, all that different stuff, how technology allows you to interact with people, even carrying into social media with, you know, your, your Facebook, your, your Instagram. Uh, talk a right. little bit about how the app and all of that comes to fruition. Yeah, I mean, the, it's so funny. Um, the instructional 
YouTube clips you're talking about will probably be there, I hope, long after I'm gone. You know what I mean? Maybe in 50 years, those things are still there, and people can go back and watch them. You know, and those were almost 10 years ago, and they were filmed yeah. <clears throat> with a little, a little Polaroid still camera that had a video function on it and it was it's horrible it's horrible quality <laughs> but but the instruction is there that you're talking about that you probably where you first saw me on actually and that's my my, my goal when i started doing that was simply this if if i can t take a hunter and and quite honestly people are busy people don't often become competition turkey callers there's a small group of people that don't compete that are really, really, really good callers. They love to practice, and they, they probably do it year-round. They just don't compete. And then there's more of the turkey hunters that they love it, but they just don't run their calls. They don't practice. And, and the goal when I was starting to do these videos almost a decade ago probably was, hey, you know what? If I can help a guy learn to call a little bit better, be a little bit more successful in the woods, and he goes out and has a little more success in the woods, what is that going to create if that guy goes out there and starts having success because of something I did, what is that hunter going to end up doing, Jay? He's going to pass it on to other people because he enjoys exactly. it. He's going to, he's going to continue to hunt. He's going to pass it on. Exactly. And that's kind of where I thought about, man, we got to get people involved. I know it's, it's like faux pas for a turkey hunter to want to have more turkey hunters, but, but quite honestly, we need all we can get to make sure the longevity of hunting and the legacy and the heritage that we know as, as turkey hunting and deer hunting and everything for that matter. But, but we want to continue that. And the only way to do that is in numbers. And that's, so that's kind of where it started with YouTube clips from there. I go, you know what? I can do this a little bit better and I can give more detail and I can have one chapter DVD that's going to break all this down. And that's was the creation of mouth call magic. And then mouth call magic Two went a little more into detail running four different styles of cuts it's a uh, split V, a combo cut, a ghost cut, and a bat wing. And, and not only teaching all the turkey sounds on four different calls, I also teach three different yelps, three different styles of yelping. So that's doing, and believe it or not, they're still selling. We mailed seven of them out three days ago. I mean, they're still selling. Um, they're, they're doing great. Um, the app came about uh, two years ago. A group of guys approached me. They're, they're big elk hunters out in Idaho and um, got game technologies. <clears throat> They go, hey, we have this elk, the elk nut, Paul, Paul Medell is his name, the elk nut. I think you probably know who that is. He does yep. um, the elk nut app, which with the same group of guys, the same company, Got Game Tech. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm having some allergy issues here. <laughs> they, they put together the elk nut. They go, we want to do a turkey one. And these, it's really awesome because these guys are relatively newbie to turkey hunting. So they had watched my same video instruction. They followed me on social media, saw the success, heard me call. We want you to do this for us. We want you to do it. So I'll explain in, in quick detail. Um, it's an amazing app, Jay. This thing has, okay, it has wild turkey vocabulary. It has, I think, eight different sounds, okay, the, all the main sounds you want to learn as a turkey hunter. It has audio of the wild turkey giving these sounds. On top of that, it has me giving the audio on a mouth call and giving audio on a pot-style call. From there, I have there's video instruction of me doing the mouth call and the pot call, okay? And to boot, there is actually written tips about each call, breaking it down into just type so a guy can read about it and maybe grasp it that way. And it talks about what the call is. And obviously you can hear it, so you have the audio, what the call is, when turkeys use it, and when you should use it to communicate and how that call communicates with the turkeys. Last but not least, there's actually a built-in audio recorder 
that comes on the app that goes through your, it accesses your microphone on your cell phone, and you can record yourself and loop it with wild turkeys or with my calling. So there you have it. I mean, that's the, that's the whole app in a nutshell, and it's just chock full of all this information about the call, when to use it. It's, it's more it's more detailed even than the DVDs because it talks more about it, how to use it in a hunting situation. And that's always a plus because if you don't know what to do with that call that you've learned, then it's kind of useless other than just making turkey sounds. So, And you can get it right on your telephone. Right there on your telephone, yeah. It's on the App Store yeah. and Google Play. Yeah, both there. It's four ninety nine, and um, I'm really proud of the project. Um, I think it's I, – I can't tell you how many testimonies we've gotten from it. It's building steam right now. Obviously, turkey season starting to kick off in all the states across the country now that Florida, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, you know, they're, everybody's starting to, to light it up now, and the seasons are coming in. And it's picking up steam, and it's doing well, and um, I, I hope it helps people and give it a shot, give it a try. Yeah, for sure. Um, Scott, I want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, I call him the glassing guru. He's the optics authority. He is the optics manager at GoHunt.com Gear Shop. If you guys have any binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing uh, or optics, give Cody a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. He will answer those calls directly, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship. Also remind you guys, we're in uh, the springtime, which is application season across the West. If you are not a gohunt.com insider member, it's the best Western hunting resource tool out there. You go to gohunt.com forward slash Scott. You're going to get a $50 GoHunt gear shop gift card just for signing up. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U. Uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. You can re- uh, check them out at kuyu.com. Uh, Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all my hunts. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank canyoncoolers.com. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. I also want to thank phonescope.com. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And last but not least, onxmaps.com. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 20% discount. Scott, one thing that we need to talk about for sure is you've been with Woodhaven Custom Calls for a long time. And that <laughs> company years. has 10 years. And that company has um, really, really uh, done well. Uh, it's become a household name for any turkey hunter. Um, talk a little bit about your role with Woodhaven, and then I want to specifically ask you about this new black mouth call um, that I'm okay. hearing so much, so many people just loving. Um, I haven't gotten one yet, but I've, I've heard so much great things about it. So talk about Woodhaven, uh, your role with Woodhaven, a little bit about the company, and then talk about you know the design of your different calls over the years and what's led you to the um, black call that, that's uh, got so much momentum. Yes, sir. The Black Reactor is what you were speaking of. The Woodhaven Custom Calls out of Heflin, Alabama, owned by Mike Pentecost. Um, I am their pro staff manager as well. Um, built a team of guys, some of the best in the industry, um, 50, 50 strong, I think it is, across the nation. And um, my role with that is just managing the in-store promotions and, and social media to help the guys with, with sharing 
the Woodhaven word, if you will, the Woodhaven gospel, <laughs> I like to call it, because it's instruments for creating hymn music is what we call our Woodhaven calls. We love them. We're proud of them. I'm proud to be part of a, a good Christian-based company. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a labor of love for me. I mean, I, I've, uh, it's like part, we're part of the family. You know, Kim and Jake and I are just part of the family, and, and I'm just I'm so loyal to a great company with great product, with great customer service that clearly create a call that is, uh, just puts a little more realism, in my opinion, in what you're doing with minimal effort. That's always what I've said. Um, my other roles with Woodhaven is I, uh, I do a lot of the marketing stuff with Mark Scroggins, do a lot of the instructional videos and the demonstration videos of the calls. I run a lot of the calls for them and uh, provide a lot of content for the pages, the web page and for the Facebook page. Um, the, uh, the Black Reactor is the mouth call that I've designed that's came out this year that's doing really, really well. Totally unique cut, like my others. Um, it's something I came up with. Um, I can't even describe it other than if you look at it, the top three looks like it has a turkey track on it. And, um, but it's not as it appears. There's, there's little modifications that we do to that call to make it as versatile it is, um, as it is. It's really easy to get aggressive and hold that raspy cut note. At the same time, it's really easy to cluck and purr. You can tone it down, get the softer calls with minimal effort. It just cleans up really easy is the easiest way to describe it. It cleans up really well, but yet you put a little air to it, and then it, it brings the rasp out. So it's just very versatile, and it's just really easy to do. I mean, I've, heard, I've got guys that say they're going to use this thing on the stage, because, and I've heard them run, and I'm like, wow, you run it better than I run the thing. That's all I can tell you, and I can run it. You know, it's just really easy. You can move your tongue right to left, left to right across the call, and because of the design, you can sound like about five different hens. The average guy can just shift his tongue a little bit and sound like completely different turkeys. And that is a heck of an advantage when you're out there hunting and you've got a bird that you've been yelping to for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and he's hung up, and you want to change the sound of the voice of the turkey hen. And that's what I do all the time. If one hen turkey voice doesn't work, we all know sometimes you change the call up, you go to a tube call, a trumpet call, a box call, a pot call, or you just, you're very versatile and the ability to change the sound of the voice with the mouth call, which is what I do mostly, and I can sound like about six or seven, eight different hens, like distinctly different hens. This call does that with ease, and then the average guy can do this with ease. That, I mean, what more can you ask for out of a turkey call? I mean, it's realistic, it's easy to use, and you can sound like a whole bunch of different turkeys on one single call. So that's the Black Reactor, and that's available, gosh, Jay. Bass Pro, Cabela's, Gander Outdoors, Academy, I believe, uh, www.woodhavencustomcalls.com, um, all of the, the online retail stores, bashpro.com, cabela.com also as well. But um, just really proud of it. You know, I've got my other three designs that have been on board with Woodhaven for, gosh, seven, eight years, and that's the Raspy Red Reactor, the Yellow Venom, and my favorite of all of them, honestly, is my new energy call, the Ellis New Energy, and that's a split V with the wingtips trimmed off of the white, the two right and left wings. It's clipped off at a 45, and that allows you to clean up the front of the call, get a little sweeter sound, but also get really raspy. And people love that rasp, man. They love to get rasp, but the more advanced caller loves to be able to cluck and purr and do some of the softer, cleaner stuff, the whines, the tree calls, bubble clucks. It'll do all that as well. Scott, let me ask you a question about rasp. And I think, I think it's, you know, growing up watching the old Primos DVDs and all of that, and then, you know, then all of a sudden they started coming out with these raspy calls. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, in your opinion for the everyday Joe turkey hunter, is that, 
element of wrath that, you know, 20 years ago was, like, not pushed on us, but it was promoted, oh, this is the raspy call, and this is more realistic. In your mind, has that actually set, and, and I'm not calling specifically Primos out, I'm just saying, you know, they, they were the leader in turkey videos and DVDs in the time. Back right. Then. Do you think that introduction of wrath actually went too far and actually took some people that were pretty good front-end type Yelpers and created all this wrath? And it, I hear people calling it's just wrath, wrath, wrath. I'm like, there's no, it doesn't even sound like a turkey. doesn't even sound like a turkey. Like, has That's it great. actually too much wrath, you know, emphasis years ago thrown in? Do you think it's derailed a bunch of turkey um, mouth callers? Um. I don't know if it's derailed them per se. I um, I think exactly what you're talking about. It's it's become a household turkey hunting, you know, language is raspy, raspy, raspy. And and there's a ton of turkey hunters across the nation. They want that nastiest, raspiest, and to me almost unrealistic sound. But that's what they want. Now, obviously, lots of people kill turkeys with that sound. But to me, I think if you can throw a little bit of more of a two-note, distinctive high-low, you know, note in that, you're going to be more realistic. And to me, you're, the more realistic you are, you're going to kill more turkeys. Um, I think it was almost like you said, maybe to some degree force-fed, rasp, rasp, rasp over the years. But, um, and, and that's ironic because that's, my calls are they have the rasp in them, but they have the ability to clean up as well. And that's what I've done with all of my designs. And, and most of the Woodhaven calls are that way. You can clean them up. They're very versatile in the ability to create different sounds from the low-end soft stuff to the high-end raspy stuff. Um, one comes to mind that our highest-selling call, best-selling call of all times, is the Red Wasp. And that's a thick reed, top reed V over two reeds of prophylactic. And that call is raspy. And, buddy, people eat it up. And they kill a lot right. of turkeys with it. They love that, that rasp. And, and, and the beauty of a really, really raspy call, too, is um, you can cut real hard on it, and it doesn't ever ping out. You know, like you hear Miriam's yeah. and Rio's, they cut, and Gould's cut with almost no rasp, and they cluck with almost no rasp. That call, you don't have to worry about that happening, which is actually seg segue to another great conversation, if we wanted to get into it, is, is the different, you know, turkeys. The language is the language, but they are distinctly, some stuff is distinctly different um, it's the same short one-note call, but yet it may be raspy, bassy, more high-pitched, less rasp, more rasp, and it changes from subspecies to subspecies. So just a sidebar well, is uh, I learned to do the bubble clucks that Rios, Miriams, and Goulds do years ago when I started chasing Grand Slams, and that high-pitched bubble cluck that they use is absolutely deadly on those turkeys because I think a lot of turkey hunters don't know how to do it, and they just cut without the rasp like an Osceola or an Eastern does, and it's a different sound. It's a different, it's a different um, uh, rasp, if you will. As we've been speaking about rasp, it's not raspy at all. So, I don't know if you have a call way in there, but I might want you to demonstrate that. But before, um, before you do that, I, I, or while you're grabbing a call out of your vest or whatever, if you have one nearby, um, if I not, do. it's no big deal. But um, I will tell you that when guys come to Gould, Goulds hunt with me, and they say, hey, I, you know, can I do the calling? I say, yeah, sure. Nine times out of ten, Scott 
that there's these sounds that come out that are just harsh. They're, and they're like, well, that's how our Easterns, that's, you know, that, and I'm like, listen, man, like, in my opinion, these Gould's hands are just, nope, 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 nope. I mean, right. sweet. A lot they of fun real front end, just, you know, you know, real clear, not a lot of wraps. I'm not saying they can't, but, right. and once I tell them, hey, clean it up a little bit and sweeten it up a little bit, they're like, and the difference in how those Goulds react when they sweeten it up is, is mind-blowing to me, uh, just watching these mean. guys. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that, because, um, I mean, you saw the Goulds, and you've hunted Merriams and Rios quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. are, are the guys that grew up Osceola and, and Eastern, I'm not, I mean, obviously incredible callers, but the sound is a little different. It is, it is. And I think if you have the pleasure of getting to hear the hens, if you get, if you're fortunate enough to get to hear the hens that are local to that area, you'll, a lot of times you'll hear, sometimes you'll hear slight similarities that you can mimic. And that's when I started copying. And I, I do have a mouth call here. I'll demonstrate what I'm talking about. Like Eastern's and Osceola's, um, unless they're really, really soft tone calling, when they cluck, they're going to have more bass and rasp. Like, sorry, here we go. Eastern Osceola cluck. You can hear the rasp, the popping. It's a sharper note. When you start talking Miriams and Rios and Goulds, when they cluck, well, let, let me cut, and I'll cut as well. I'm going to do some yeah. cutting as an Osceola or an Eastern. Okay, a little bit of cutting. Now, when you go to the other three, Miriams, the Western Birds, Miriams, Rios, and Goulds, you're going to almost hear none of that. Ninety-nine times out of 100, I don't know if I've ever heard any of them do it, and they're going to be that high-pitched tipping. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> oh, yeah, buddy. That's, that's like that morning when we had those birds and they were just tipping away. And, oh, and yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Like, guys that come, they'll just be just abrasive cutting, and I'm like, hey, I, I never hear that with these schools. I never. And they're like, huh? And I go, that cutting, oh, yeah. they, they, they don't, it's not that they don't like it. They're probably like, what the heck is that? Exactly. Like they, I mean, they you're going to kill it. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm sure you're going to kill birds doing that, Jay, but I think why not do what would be even more successful? And in your, in, yeah. to your point about the yelping the same way, and I'm not saying, you know, we can't stereotype it down to a science. No. But I hear that the Miriams and Rios and Goulds that I've heard, they have a lot more front and more of a rolling yelp like so. I'll do, a, I'll do what, I, what I would say is a generic standard, more Miriam, Rio-ish, Gouldish yelp like so. A lot of front. Yep. Okay, and then if you if it, let's pretend that we're doing Easterns and Osceolas, and, and I'll do what I can uh, consider that's more common. Like so, you're going to hear a little less front for the most part, and a lot more back end. Honestly, is what I hear. I'm going back and forth. And that was me going back and forth between the, the two, yep. the three subspecies and the two subspecies. But, um, and again, yep. y- you may go to Mexico this year and hear a raspy old nasty hen that doesn't sound exactly like that. Uh, we're using generalizations here. 
and and sure. the best rule of thumb would be copy the hinge that you're hearing. That's <laughs> that's going to be the best rule yeah. of thumb, whether it's the lighter front end or the heavier front end or, or vice versa with the back end. Um, just copy what you hear in, in what you hear your hens doing in your area that you're hunting, and you're probably not going to go wrong at all. But Yeah, I mean, for sure. If, if you've got a good conversation going with hens, there's no reason to do anything crazy if, if they're eating it up and if the bird's gobbling. And if you're talking to the hens, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, um, from, a, from a strategy position, when you're, when you're talking calling and trying to be as effective as you can calling, you know, how much is just staying within your lane of what's working at the time during the setup rather than getting too crazy and fancy? I, mm-hmm. as you know, I... We kill 50, 60, 70 goulds a year, and I get to hear all kinds of different callers. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm sitting there thinking, man, stay in your lane. That bird was eating it up, and now you're getting too fancy. Talk a little bit about someone like yourself that can make every call in the, in the book, mm-hmm. kind of staying in your lane and what's working at the time, and, and instead of getting too fancy and, and over-calling and getting too crazy. Right, right. Um I think a, the best rule of thumb is is start basic. And what when I, when you say stay in your lane, I think start basic and save all those fancy stuff. You know, we call it fancy. Save the other communicating, the other vocabulary words, vocabulary, the calls, if you need them. Start with soft clucks and soft yelps and keep doing that. If he's coming, keep doing that. And then... Right. If he hangs up at 100 yards or 120 or 90, then you can start getting a little more aggressive with some, some cutting. You can get aggressive with a little bit more excited yelp, fast series of yelps. You can step up your emotion level, or you can go to the other end of the, the spectrum and decrease your emotion level and just be soft and start bubble clucking and purring and whining. Or you can go completely silent, which is very deadly on, on most subspecies. I'd say Eastern Osceola's dead silence is probably – one of the best tactics. Miriam's Rios and Gold's not as much as, as going silent doesn't. I don't think it's as effective. But just a disclaimer there. So but they lose interest, just, right? They lose interest. That's what I've always said. Yeah, they have ADD. That's what I always said. Yeah. yeah. But um, but just do the basics and save those tricks for later in the engagement if you need them. If you start right off, yeah. the only the only um, the only variable that I throw in that scenario is if a bird's way 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 off and I'm not able to close the distance. And he's, and he's way off, that's when I will immediately get more aggressive. I'll call a little louder, a little more excited, because I am trying to truly draw his attention from a longer distance away. Now, if I can move on him, obviously that's the easy answer. I'm going to try to get closer to him so I can start with the basics. But sometimes you can't do that. Maybe that bird's not gobbling frequently enough, frequently enough to move in on him and position on him without the risk of bumping him. That happens all the time. They'll gobble. They kind of got. They kind of. They're a little apprehensive. They're not. They're not hammering. So you're very at the mer- you're at the mercy of that bird and the fact that he's not giving his location away like you need to to get tighter. And that's when I do get more aggressive and I do try to charge him up and get him going. And that's again from those further distances is when I will get a little louder and a little more excited. If he's if I strike a bird, he's 125 yards, straight up soft yelps and little light clucks, and that's all I'm wanting to do to get him now. If if to get him coming. If that doesn't work, then I start. Then I'll start increasing my emotion level. Like I said, I'll start cutting a little bit. I'll get a little more aggressive. I'll get a little more excited to try to ramp his mood up and get him supercharged, if you will, get him excited. And then 
as he starts to close the distance, I will often go backwards again and start toning it back down, acting like I'm almost losing interest. You're playing off his emotions. You get him charged up. You finally get him coming when he wasn't that interested, and all of a sudden you act disinterested. It's like a guy at a bar. You know, he's trying to yeah. find a girlfriend. We'll call what we're keeping this PC here, but you're trying to find a girlfriend, and he starts talking to the girl. The girl's very uh, open to conversation. She's very interested, and then all of a sudden she becomes disinterested and she's not wanting to talk to the guy. What's the guy going to do? Yeah, he's 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 either going to move in harder or he's going to back yeah. away. There you go. You're not as quick as on your feet as you used to be. <laughs> now he's going to move in. He's going to try harder. And that's exactly right. what I'm doing to a gobbler's head. I'm, I'm getting in his head. I'm trying to make right. him think I'm super hot, super excited, super interested, and then I may back off. Now, if he's closing the distance, closing the distance, closing the distance, closing the distance, boom, you got a dead turkey. I mean, that happens too, you know, just by doing right. the more excited stuff. But very often, I will, I will just, as a general rule of thumb, I'll kind of calm it down a little bit just to play off his emotion. Now, sometimes, guess what happens? He loses interest. Like you said, he'll back away. Sometimes if all of a sudden she becomes disinterested, the hen or the woman, she'll back away. The guy will back away because he thinks that she's disinterested. So that's when you have to bring that excitement level back up, so you don't lose the gobbler. Because sometimes they'll turn around and walk off if you get too, if you get too um, if you get too less excited instead of keeping and maintaining that excitement level up there. Like you said, the Miriams and Rios and Goulds. Very often, if you don't keep them going and keep them supercharged, they'll walk off. They lose interest, and they're more susceptible to that, I think, than Easterns and Osceolas are. You talked about earlier, you talked about bubble cluck. Mm-hmm. And um, can you demonstrate that? Absolutely. Um, and and, and uh, a bubble cluck to me is very similar to what a Miriams, Rio, and Goulds does daily. But you'll hear Easterns and Osceolas do it a lot on the roost when they're tree calling, and they'll also do it when they're doing the very, very soft under-the-breath purrs and clucks. And, we'll, and I'm calling it a bubble cluck because it's not – so she's purring – So that's the bubble clucks, which is very similar to the way a Gould's, Rio's, and Miriam's clucks in general, as opposed yep. to a more inquisitive cluck and purr or even a more agitated cluck and purr, like she's trying to find another hen she hears, she's a little agitated, you're going to hear the bassier cluck. And this, again, is going to be Easterns and Osceolas. And you hear the, the bass and the rasp in those little clucks. And they do it both ways. And then also, you, you mentioned, uh, I mentioned off the roost as well, so you're tree calling and bubble clucking. And hopefully this all comes across decent. You know how it is recording on cell phones on some of these podcasts. The sound oh, yeah. quality is not exactly there, but hopefully people can get the gist out of what we're doing, especially the softer stuff. They should hear that pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I remember our, our afternoon, our ghoul hunt when we first got there, we went down there and you called that bird in and boom, you got your bird and then we roosted those birds and we went in the next morning and I remember it, we got in there really, really early they were gobbling <laughs> like crazy. The hens were calling, and and uh, you awesome. kept looking at me like, and I'm like, not yet, not yet, because I knew what was going to 
happen. I knew what was going to happen. And I'm just curious from your perspective, um, and I've told this story before on my podcast. I'm like, Scott Ellis made a handful of calls, and those birds just flew down in our lap. Um, right. If you, re- if you remember those birds, I mean, they flew down, and it was dark, dark, dark. In mm-hmm. your opinion, the Easterns and, and Osceolas, will they spend a little bit more time in the tree? And was there a part of you that was surprised that those ghouls just piled out of the tree and came down so early? I mean, did you think there was going to be a more time frame of just up there in the tree and a lot of tree talking tree and talk. they would yeah. come down? Yeah, come down in time. Were you kind of surprised how you made a few calls and boom, they were just all over us? Um, I think as a, and you can, you can speak on the gold. You're the gold's expert. I mean, is that, is that common for golds to fly down that early like that? Well, part of me was like, don't call yet, Scott, because I know what's going to happen. That's why my question is, in your mind, you called a series of of calls to them and Mm -hmm. they basically came unglued and flew out of the tree and came (laughs) right to us. My question would be, like, at home in Florida, if you'd have done the same thing, would they have stayed up in the tree a little bit longer? Because our ghouls typically, obviously, if Scott Ellis is calling you and you're a ghoul, you're going to come. But <laughs> well, thanks, buddy. In, in, in theory, though, do those birds spend a little bit more time in the tree, you know, doing their whole thing and then come down as opposed think, to these ghouls? You called and they came down basically, I mean, it was, almost, I mean, it pretty, was pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, as a whole, you know, a generalized statement for the 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 Easterns and Osceolas, I think that they will come down based on they may come down a little earlier if they can see their surroundings really well. Um, as a whole, generalized statement here. Um, more open areas, I think they they would tend to come down a little bit earlier um, where they as long as they can see. Um, I, uh, if it's thicker cover, I think they tend to stay up in the trees a little bit longer. If obviously fog, they'll stay in the tree all morning sometimes. Um, just because I, I think I provoked those birds to, to come. They were like, that, that, that <laughs> was a think? very close. <laughs> well, but Jay, that was a very close knit family of turkeys and yeah. they know their voices. They know each yeah. other. They are like, they yeah. are a family flock, if you will. They are yeah. buddies and friends, and there was Jake's in that group, all those hens, the big boy that I'm looking at on my wall right now that's mounted. <laughs> um, yeah. And he was obviously the boss gobbler. But um, when they heard me, they're going, who in the world is this hen we have never heard before? So Let's I think that may have made him. Who is she all about? Because those birds yeah. were in that pocket, in that, in that, in that bottom in there. And we, it, they live there. That's their daily deal. That's where they go. That's where they, they roost. They live there all day long. So I think that, that provoking, when I say provoke them, they were just truly looking to, to, for that, uh, that new girl that was on the block. Um, when yeah. I'm calling to a, uh, Eastern Osceola or even Rio's or Miriam's for that matter, I mean, we're, I don't know that, um, that I've ever provoked one on that ground. That was a really, a, a really neat situation that occurred that day. How, how interested they were in me. Like you said, I just tree called, tree called and bubble clucked and they lost their minds. You know, not that happened. They went ballistic. They like, they did. Full gobbled about eight. Oh times. my gosh. And the hens were going, were cutting, doing their pipping. And, but I mean, as a whole, I, I think it's, um, I, I don't know that I've ever provoked them that rapidly to come off the limb, maybe prematurely to answer your question. Yeah. 
Yes, I think the other subspecies will generally stay on the limb a little bit longer. Now, I have seen Rios and Miriams fly down, especially Miriams, in, in like open terrain out in Nebraska, like I said, really, really, really early, earlier than I would have thought in eastern Osceola would. Um, yeah. But there's always the one-off. There's always going to be a guy sitting there listening to this going, man, I had one fly down. It was almost pitch black dark. I've killed Osceola's in almost the pitch black dark. So there's always going to be one-offs. You know what I mean? There's always going to be things that turkeys do that – aren't the norm, and that's why I love them so dearly because just when you think you got them figured out, they do something different. But you can often speak in, like, generalized terms, and this is after hunting 34 years and killing, I'm not even, I don't even know how many turkeys at this point anymore, and calling in probably twice that many. You know, you're going to see generalized uh, characteristics, behavioral characteristics, and, um, and I think that clocks it pretty well that generally the other subspecies outside of Miriam's, I think will, and Rio's for that matter, will stay up in the tree a little bit longer generally. And those, and, and, and going back to what I asked you, not to get long-winded on this one topic, but you see Miriam's come, I mean, uh, Gould's come down really early like that a lot, or not so much? No, I'm just saying I knew that they were going to come unglued, so I would have probably waited a little bit longer because I'm like, Scott's going to call these, I mean, they are going to come unglued, and it's exactly <laughs> what happened. Right. I was but, worried that it was going to be so early they'd come in, and like almost be too, too early to not even be able to shoot them because it's too early. And much less film them, right? Yeah. Yeah, and no. much less get, you know, I was thinking we got to get film of this. And so I was just curious your thought process, but it yeah. was an amazing morning. Well, um, we had a crazy time. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, again, do they do that commonly though, Jay? The, all the hundreds of goals you called in, I mean, do they do that come down early or does that, was that a one-off for you too? Well, I would say that normally I would have waited a little bit longer before I even interact with them because I would be afraid that they would come down too early and wouldn't be able to get film. Okay. I'll tell you a story. I had Billy uh, Yargis come down last year, a different ranch than you went to, but came down and his second bird, uh, we, um, we got in there, Billy and um, Hunter Haynes, one of my guys had roosted him. Mm-hmm. I remember we got in there super early, yeah, in the dark and got set up and Billy, they knew right where he was. And, um, you know, same type of thing that the uh, bird was just gobbling, gobbling, gobbling. It's on my YouTube channel and, um, bird just gobbling, 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 gobbling. Billy just started in on him and Scott, I mean, his bird just, (laughs) just, I mean, quadruple gobbling craziness. And I'm thinking that bird's going to fly right in, in the dark. (laughs) And they actually had a hen with them, and Billy started in with that hen, and it was just, you know, when I get to hunt with guys like yourself and Billy and listen to actually how you guys do it, it just, it Mm. blows me away because there's no lack of confidence as far as, I told Billy, I said, you called a lot to that bird, and he kind of smiled, and he's Mm. like, yeah, he goes, some birds you can call a lot to, and that was one thing I noticed that morning. Like he just he had he just kept the conversation going, and that bird flew in and read the script and came straight in, and it was it was awesome. Um, but I think a lot of that is calling with confidence. Like you guys that are really good at calling, especially with mm-hmm. mouth calls, when you call with confidence, you can call more, as opposed right. to the person that maybe doesn't sound perfect. The more he calls, the more that bird has a chance to go something ain't right but when you sound like scott or sound like billy like you sound exactly like a turkey you can i think call get away with more right get away with more yeah yeah yeah, yeah and especially like you said the hen he got the hen going 
and as those hens were were um, going to town with you and I a couple of years ago, um, that's something that's a great that's a great topic to chat about. And, and I don't like to talk a lot to them. And I, don't, I mean, obviously that morning I didn't talk a lot to those birds, but what I did do got them going and got them talking. And um, we didn't know the whole flock. I mean, you you may have known it because you've hunted golds more, you know, for years, and you know they kind of know how they react and how they work. But a lot of times. I don't give a lot of tree talk to a gobbler, very very little. Uh, some people will give more tree talk. I learned that for me, hunting Osceolas, growing up hunting Osceolas and, and Easterns predominantly, the more you talk to them, they tend to hang on the roost a little bit longer. The only exception yep, to that tree, rule, right? Right. The only exception to that rule, which is why I was asking you if it's if it's common for, for golds to fly down like that, because Easterns and Rios, I'm sorry, Easterns and Osceolas, will generally do the opposite if you call too much to them on the limb. They won't. They will not fly they down. They want you like to that. come to them and gather under their tree, right? I mean, they're... To some point. To some point, yeah. Yep. They're like, the only exception. Stuff. You come over here to us. We're, we're going to wait up here, and you got to show yourself right, and first. Gobble. That's what I've seen on, on Merriam's a lot. That, you know, they'll just right. stay up in the tree and be like, okay, come to us. Right, right, right. And and the, the only exception to that rule is if I've identified he has hens with him and i can about guarantee that's why billy probably talked a lot more to that gobbler right. and that hen on the roost because he got her talking that's when you realize they have hens there's not a, i mean there's a very good chance he is going to fly down right with them and you're out of luck you're just you're up a paddle without or and, up a creek without a paddle and so that's when i try to provoke Scott, the hen. To take that even further not to interrupt you but i, I <clears> hear <throat> people say oh they got hens we need to shut up i'm like Wait a minute, mm-hmm. they got hens. Your only chance is to call and keep a conversation with those hens. Excellent. But it's funny how I see people do different things, and they go, they had hens, so I needed to shut up. I'm like, no, you, you needed to call more with hens on the limb, not less. Exactly. That's the exact philosophy I've had for 25 years. That's the only exception to the rule of over-talking to him on the tree. Because, I mean, right. all you can hope to do is provoke them like I provoked those Goulds flock, that Goulds flock two, three years ago, and provoke them to come investigate the new chick that's over here. And, you know, and, and sometimes right. it works. I think more times than not it doesn't work, but it's worth a shot. I mean, if you sit there and do yeah. nothing, they're definitely not going to be interactive with you. If so, why not give it a yeah. shot? And maybe they fly down and bring the gobble right over to you. And it, it has worked. More times than not, it doesn't, but it has worked a few times. Otherwise, you know, you just let him get on the ground and then try to call the hens when they get to the ground. They're all on the ground. That's where the game begins A lot of pe- to a lot of people that don't understand it. You know, let them know where you're at and then let the games be- let them get on the ground Then the games begin, honestly, unless he's got hens and, and they're with him on the roost. And they're talkative, and you can get them talking. Yep. Good stuff, man. Well, we could talk for days on this. I really appreciate <laughs> you spending time. Uh, Absolutely. With, uh, I'm glad to be here. And I, I want to just end and give you a chance to not only tell people where they can follow and, and learn more about you, but I want to kind of, um, I'm putting you on the spot here, I want to leave the listeners with one tip or maybe two tips, just general, whatever Scott Ellis thinks that people out there need to remember as far as turkey hunting strategy calling whatever it may be maybe it's mm-hmm. a mistake that you see a lot of people make may, whatever it may be like what is one good tip you can give people um in, in regards to turkey hunting that's going to make them a better turkey hunter number one tip one tip i could probably do this all night too uh and we talked about 
all these new loads and all these amazing new chokes and sights and everything, take your shotgun to the patterning board and ensure that you have an effective killing pattern and ensure that your point of impact is true. Guys have no idea how their shotguns shoot. They buy a new load. They buy a choke. It's the hottest new thing. They go turkey hunting. They have no idea if it's shooting high right, high left. Put your shotgun on paper. It's no different than sighting in your deer rifle or tuning your bow. You know, take the time to know that the gun is shooting true because a lot of, guy, a lot of guys will go to the woods and they, they'll miss two or three birds before they finally pattern it and realize it was shooting two foot to the left or they'll maim birds. Um, another right. great tip, and we've already talked about it, is just try to start with the basics when you engage any turkey. Even if it's a Miriam or Rio or Goulds that are more talkative than Easterns and Osceola's, start with the basics. Don't get too aggressive. Don't dump your bag of tricks out on the table right off the bat or show your trump card, your ace in the hole, if you will. Start with the basics and then only increase your excitement level or change your methods or your tactics up, whether you stage a fight or whatever, if you need to, because you may not even need to use that stuff. But if you throw it all out there too early, you have nothing left. The next thing is don't be afraid to learn different devices and to master more than one type of turkey call. Learn to be proficient in three or four different calls so that that way you can change the voice of that hen. He may not like your hen that, you're li that you like on your mouth call, but you may put that tube call up there or pull that pot call, that crystal call, that box call out, and it strikes a nerve. We've About everybody that's turkey hunting longer than a few years has probably done it. They've changed calls, and the bird has done a 180 and then came back in. And when, it, when yeah. all you did was sound like a different turkey, you may have been, it may have been a, vo a voice that was familiar to him. It may have been just a certain tone that made a big difference. So don't be afraid to learn and be better on more than one type of device of a turkey call. And that's, that's three. I mean, I could go on for days, buddy. <laughs> to talk yeah, about I me a little it. bit. Yeah. Um, yep. You can find me on Instagram under Scott underscore C underscore Ellis. Give me a follow. Um, follow the adventure. It's a lot of fun. I'm always trying to put good content up and, and instructional stuff and just make it interesting for people to follow along on the adventures. Um, you can find my DVDs at scottellishunting.com. As well, we have Hunt Quest t-shirts now made up that you can check out. They're available on, my, on scottellishunting.com. Um, the app is called Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. I don't think we even mentioned it earlier, but the app we spoke of is Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. It's on the App Store and Google Play. Please check out Hunt Quest on YouTube. All you got to do is go into YouTube search engine and type Hunt Quest, and it'll pop up. There's and that's, not only, that's not only the show. You. What's that? Hunt Quest? That's Hunt Quest with a U, not a W. Oh, right, right, yes. Q-U-E-S-T, uh, yep. And uh, okay. not only will you find all the 21 episodes of the show, you'll find all these instructionals that Jay was talking about and I've been talking about that have been up for like a decade, like like 10 years and 20 pounds ago, boys and girls. <laughs> um, they're still up there. They're still up there. And, and, I mean, some of these things have 150,000 views. I mean, a lot of turkey hunters have learned a lot from these little simple tips and instructionals. Um, and, I, I mean, I think that covers the gamut pretty much. Um, Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis is on – on Facebook, I have a Facebook page as well. You can give me a follow there. It's a hunt quest with Scott Ellis. And um, I, I appreciate your time, Jay. We could talk turkeys till the cows come home, till next turkey season probably. I enjoy our conversations, buddy. That sounds good. Well, you, you knock them down. I know you've got about another month or so left to hunt, and I know you've got a bunch of states you're going to hit. And um, uh, Scott may be looking for a Merriam's hunt. Any, any of you guys listening out in the West, um, if, if they've got some really good Merriam's hunt, maybe reach out to Scott. 
Um, Scott, always appreciate your time. Uh, always appreciate your professionalism and all that you give back to the industry. Sorry I missed you at NWTF. I actually went to the Western Hunting Expo. I flip-flop usually every year on those. It's usually mm -hmm. during the same time. But uh, hopefully I'll get to see you next year, and uh, I'll keep watching HuntQuest and uh, look forward to seeing all the success that you have uh, for the remaining of the spring season here, buddy. Well, thank you very much, and best of luck on the goulds.com. Um, Goulds Hunt, what is it? What is your website? <laughs> GouldsTurkeyHunt.com. Uh, there you go. I, I, I messed it up. 75 birds uh, this year and going to be our biggest season and really looking forward to it. Going to kick it off uh, kind of mid-April. and So, yeah, awesome. uh, Scott, it's always great having you on. Um, tell uh, Jake and Kim hello, and uh, we'll see you down the road. God bless. Okay, buddy? Thank you, Jay. I appreciate you having me. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.